0: We started a new series last week called The Believer's Family. As many of you know, that we're going through the book of Ephesians. It's going to take us about a year and a half, and we've broken the book of Ephesians up into four different um, series that we're working through, and we've done The Believer's Blessing, uh, we've done The Believer's Behavior, and then we're going to do The, the Believer's Family. And um, when I first started the book of Ephesians, um, it, it was really, really slow going through Chapter 1. In fact, it took me forever to get through Chapter 1 and we, some people said at that rate, it's gonna, we're not going to finish the book of Ephesians in about 10 years. And, uh, and uh, But you notice that it speeded up a little bit, um, but um, all of a sudden it's hit another anchor where we're going really slow for the next 12 weeks. And as we're going really slow, we're working through about uh, 15, 16 verses for 12 weeks. And we'll ask the question, why do we go slow on this passage in particular? And I would say... Because everything that you need to know about marriage and about a successful marriage is right here in these verses. That's it. Right here. Everything you need to know. If you're struggling in your marriage and you need help, everything you need to know is, is, is I believe is is believe is right here. Now how many books have been written on marriage? So many books have been written on marriage, and we're buying them, we're reading them, and all these things, but everything you need to know is right here. And if any book disagrees with that, it's just completely wrong. Every book that agrees with it is just a stem from this passage, just a stem from this passage. So we're going to read the passage, and then we'll work through point by point. And again, we're encouraging everybody to read the passage numerous times, all week long, memorize the passage, study the passage, know the passage, understand the words that are said in the passage, because there's big words in there. And there could be even offensive words in there. you got submit and head and all those things. What does that mean? Where does that go? What's being communicated? Oh my goodness, where are we going to go for the next 12 weeks? If you read it, you're probably going to wonder where we're going to go. Get to know it. Understand it. Understand the dynamics of the communication that is going on here. So let's read it then we'll look into it. Ephesians 5:21 through 31. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her with a washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For all, for all, no one ever hated his own body. But he himself, but he feeds and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church for the members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Before we even get started, we have to figure out what is the purpose um, of marriage. And the purpose is written in this passage, but we will ask the question what is the purpose of marriage? Because the, if you don't come up with a purpose of marriage, everything that you do, every, the way that you live, the way that you respond, the way that you love your wife, the way that you love your husband, is all going to stem from that purpose. In fact, all your behavior is going to stem for that purpose. That's why churches, and that's why businesses, and, and when you set goals, you got to find out the purpose so you can align yourself with a purpose so your behavior aligns with that purpose. Because if you don't know the purpose automatically your behavior will not align with the purpose, it will align with something else. Something like culture. Just looking at the history of our world, culture has defined the purpose of marriage. And if you go back at the ancient culture, they had a a purpose of marriage that seems like it stemmed people's behavior. And uh, what stemmed people's behavior? The, The purpose stemmed the behavior, but what was the purpose? The purpose back in the days, and I know that a lot of our marriages are not set up this way, but the reason why you marry, you marry out of social class. In other words, you find somebody that is economically okay, and then, and then you say, well, that would be a good person to marry. Maybe I, I should marry that person. And then men are trying to get economically okay, so, so they would have you know, a larger spread the larger, um, larger opportunities or of women that they can receive, but it's all about economics. It's all about social functions. It's all about social duties. You choose your spouse to get the place where you want to be in life. Now, this is ancient. I know there are people going like, I've never heard of this before, but look back in the ancient days. That's exactly what took place. Where do I want to be socially? Well, I'll find somebody that will get me in that social arena that I desire to be in. And so what happens, they're choosing spouses out of status. They choose spouses out of livelihood. You choose to get a family that you want. You look at that guy and say, okay, I want to have children. Well, I'd like to raise children in this neighborhood, so I think I'll choose this guy to raise a child in that neighborhood. It was all driven by social status. In fact, when you look at Solomon, he had 500 wives. Is it because he needed a lot of love? No, it wasn't because he needed a lot of love. He needed economic success is what he needed. He, need, he In fact, he needed, he needed uh, um, people that were loyal, countries that were loyal to him. Every time he made a deal with another king, what did the king do? Well, let me give you one of my daughters. Because if he receives a daughter from another king, what's going to take place? Well, they're going to be loyal because that king's not going to attack his own family. He's not going to attack his grandkids. It was a statement of loyalty. So Solomon's like, well, we've got to have some positions and it took 500 wives to get him all these positions that he that he, wanted, he wanted to get. Why? Because he wanted to be a powerful person. He wanted to increase his wealth. You, don't get, you get married out of social status. That's back in the ancient days. And I know you're going, well, we don't do that anymore. No, you're right. Uh, we've, we've switched it. It's a little different. We don't marry out of social status. We marry out of love. And what has that done for our marriages? What has that done for our marriages? If you look at the divorce rate back in the ancient days, the divorce rate was next to zero. (laughs) I mean, nobody divorced. I mean, why? Because you're marrying out of social status. If you marry out of social status and then you divorce, you're breaking your social status. And if you want people to view you as somebody that is socially acceptable or socially good, the last thing you want to do is divorce. So the divorce rate was, was absolutely zero. Why? Because what does love have to do with it? It has nothing to do with it. But now all of a sudden we get married because of love. And what happens? Our divorce rates increase like crazy. Why? Because we're getting married on the basis and the principles of love, and what what does that look like? I mean, from a culture's perspective, what does that look like? Oh, what can I get out of this person? Um, Is that person going to meet my needs? Is that person going to take care of me? Am I going to not feel lonely anymore? Is my sexual needs going to be met? And what it's done is, is it's turned us into people that have grabbed a hold of marriage out of love, and everything is being stemmed for this. So as long as there's love, there's a marriage, and if there's not, then maybe we just need to go. Maybe we just need to find somebody else. You fall in love to get married, you fall out of love, what do you do? You just get a divorce. <laughs> Why? Because am not in love anymore. If I'm not in love anymore, I just go... Find somebody else because God would want me to not be in love. I mean, that, that's the way we think. That's the way that our culture thinks. And it's even come into our, our church. You know, I read the Bible and God wants me to be happy. And boy, the person I'm married to is not making me happy. If God wants me to be happy, maybe He's telling me to step away from that person. See, what's happened is everything's being stemmed off of the purpose of marriage and our behavior is responding to what t- is taking place under the purpose of marriage. And if you do get married because you wanna be loved, I will tell you it's dangerous. And the reason why is because you become a critical person because they won't meet your expectations. You'll become judgmental, you'll become angry, you'll become bitter, you'll become mad, you'll, you'll feel like you're cheated, you'll feel like you're ripped off, why? Because the person's not gonna meet your needs. The person's not gonna make you happy. Person just might not accidentally be the dream that you're supposed to find that God wanted you to find and then your mind start exploring somewhere else to make sure that you find the dream. That is the purpose that the culture has given us. So we'll ask the question, Well, what about the biblical purpose? And remember, everything's gonna stem from it if you write it down. What is the biblical purpose of marriage? In this passage, the biblical purpose is so in line with God's purpose to the people that all the way through the passage, all you're getting is love your wife like Christ loved the church. Serve your husband like Christ, like the church serves Christ. You are just getting a constant ricochet back and forth in regards to this purpose because the purpose that God chooses to give to his people is right in alignment with the same purpose that God has given to the husband and I would also say given to the wife because it's gonna be a universal purpose that we'll be working off of, and as we work through the passage, we will be able to see this universal purpose and the power. I do believe in positions, but I believe that there's a universal purpose that's given, and it's right in connection with what the purpose of God is for his people. What is the purpose of God? Like I said, this passage is so rich, there is a condensed purpose that God has given us in this passage that says, this is my purpose for the world. Really fast. Look at 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her for the purpose of making her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Look at it in the context of him saying his purpose. Husbands, this is verse 25, husbands love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What is the purpose of God for coming to the world? Is God had our future glory in mind when he came. When he left heaven and he came and he lived a perfect life, a life without sin, a homeless life, a rough life, without sin, and then goes to the cross, and dies in our stead, and then goes into the grave after he dies, and raises again, and now is our Savior. It's a statement of love, but he did it all. Why? Because he had our future glory in mind. And then Paul connects a marriage to the same thing. So what is the purpose? What's my purpose of being married? If I'm going to walk into a relationship, what is the purpose that I'm going to stem off of and? Where is it going to go? Number one, this is the purpose. The purpose of marriage is to serve love your spouse with a vision of their future glory in mind. Why has God given us such an intense purpose? The reason why God has given us this intense purpose is because when I I got married, I married his daughter. If you married a man, you married His son. God has children. He has men and he has women, and he is handing his children to somebody that has the responsibility. And when he hands his children to people and say, you have the responsibility to nurture, to take care, to love, he's handing a responsibility that is extreme. A responsibility that carries a lot of weight, the responsibility that even carries a lot of power, and there 's no other relationship when it comes to a husband and wife that i 've carried such a responsibility with my wife than anybody else. He has handed me his daughter, and I have so much power i have so much strength i have so much influence into this one daughter not all of them just one daughter that he has handed to me and then he makes an aggressive statement love her like christ love the church and is that an emotional thing for god well when i was uh dating my wife i uh, was a helicopter logger and and when i was a logger i used to move from from place to place In other words, I was in California, spent a lot of time in California, but all around California, and then I would go into Nevada, I'd come into Oregon, I'd go up to Washington because I'd travel wherever the job went, and I had a 15-foot trailer, and the 15-foot trailer was not self-contained, meaning it did not have a toilet, and it did not have a shower, but that was not needed, or that was not necessary because I didn't really need them, I mean, in my mind, just because I worked around the clock, and I'd often park by creeks and, uh, and shower up then. Or if I had a day off, I'd go to McDonald's and take a shower in the sink. I mean, so you don't necess- they're not necessities to survive. That's just the way that it was. So I, um, I, from the outside, I, I kind of looked, looked rough, but my wife loved me <laughs> for some reason. I, I'm not exactly sure why, but she still loved me for some reason. So then I got this wild hair to think, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to propose to her. And um, so I wanted to do everything right, probably because I was doing everything wrong. And I wanted to do everything right in regards to proposing to her. So I ended up asking her parents. I asked her dad, and, and then I went and I talked to her mom. And, uh, and they said, yes. Why? I'm not exactly sure. But they did. And then I went into, it um, um, was a heritage mall, um, to buy a ring. And I bought a ring. And after I, I bought the ring, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go hand this on her finger. But I want to do everything Right her grandparents live at the Mennonite Village. Maybe I'll go ask for their permission as well. And so sure enough, I went into the Mennonite Village and knocked on the door and I came in and said, they're so glad to see us and and so glad to see me. And I I sat down and they're very, very, very conservative uh, people. And I tell you, extremely, extremely sweet. And what did I do? I said, I got some great news. And I pulled out this ring and said, I would like to marry your granddaughter. And there was a moment of dead Silence. Before everything erupted. In fact, I've never seen a conservative person act the way that they saw. And the the, the statement was, "You're going to what?" <laughs> and um, I really didn't know what to say, but I knew no. I knew what not to say. I was not going to say what's the big deal, she's just your granddaughter, <laughs> I, say, I, didn't, I didn't say that, so I, I was more defensive, just said, you know, what you need to probably do is, you, you know, look at the potential, you know, you, maybe I'm not the best on the outside, but there might be something way deep on the inside, and, uh, but I didn't say much, but anything that I did say, I just tell you the conversation went way downhill, <laughs> way, 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 way downhill, in fact, it went so far downhill that there was times I was thinking, you know, I think they're going to do one of two things. They're going to kill me and stuff me in the back closet. Or they're going to have a cardiac arrest right in front of me, and I'm going to get accused of double manslaughter and have to do some time. I mean, it was that bad of a conversation. And I will tell you that when I left, I'm like, oh, boy, this is bigger than I thought it was going to be. And I proposed to my wife, and I told my wife that, you know, um, I told her grandparents as well. And she goes, oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> I, that, wasn't, that, that wasn't the... It wasn't the the best opportunity but in their eyes is a statement, this is my granddaughter, take care of her. In God's eyes when he hands us our ladies or he hands us our men if you are a lady. This is my son, this is my granddaughter and by marriage you are gonna carry an absolute power an absolute power that is going to have a weight literally over her that is going to make an influence on her or make an influence on him that has a power to even change them. What kind of power? God's the one that created marriage and he understood the power of married love. Letter A, just to describe the power of married love. Marriage love carries a power to heal. You see in our passage, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave herself for her. Well, Jesus Christ loved the church so much that it made us holy by his love, it cleansed us by his love, it washed us through the word by his love, and it presented to him as a beautiful and radiant church by its love without stain or wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless carrying this love that Christ had carried an ultimate power and the reason why he connects it with a husband because he's saying husbands and I would say wives as well wives you carry a power that you underestimate underestimate when you look at the word love and you're gonna describe it under uh, one word, uh, what would that word be? Some people would say, love is commitment. You know, that's, that's what love is. Uh, or um, love is a verb. You know, that's, that's what love is. That's what that one word love is. But if you're gonna define it under one word, I think the best thing that describes the word love is, is vulnerability. Vulnerability. See what takes place when Christ loved us. He was really vulnerable. Left heaven, came to earth and became a man, and then went to a cross in front of everybody that he was saving, half naked, beaten and torn apart, completely vulnerable for the purpose of what? Seeing his heart. Seeing not what was on the outside of him, but seeing what was in the depths of him. This vulnerability came with absolute power, and when we see the vulnerability of Jesus Christ, it comes with a power to save us, to move us, to send us. When you look at the word love, love is is vulnerability. And what that looks like is that when you get married, let's just look off the stem of of a sexual relationship, you expose yourself. You expose all your ankles, you expose all your warts, you expose everything about yourself. And when you expose yourself, you are handing your emotional self to an individual, to another individual in the process of a sexual relationship. That's why sexual relationships carry so much power is because they're so emotional, because they're so vulnerable. You give yourself away, and when you give yourself away, there's a connection that takes place. There's a power that takes place, and the word is vulnerability in that process. And what happens if a woman chooses not to give herself away, and she is raped, forced to give herself away, then the opposite occurs, doesn't it? The opposite occurs we are not having the power to heal you're actually having the power to destroy because you are not wanting to be vulnerable you're not wanting to give yourself away so just look at that under a sexual relationship but look at it under the emotional relationship when you get married what are you going to do you're going to give yourself away you're no longer going to be living by yourself your time is not going to be your time that much anymore The responsibilities are going to be different, but then you're going to go deeper. You're going to give your thoughts away. You're going to start giving your fears away. You're going to start giving your loves away, whether good or bad. You're going to start giving your sins away. Why? Because she's going to see you, he's going to see you, and all of a sudden you're going to be exposed in front of him. You're going to be exposed in front of her. So even if you don't talk about it, you're starting to give yourself away. You're going to give your weaknesses away, and your mate is going to see all of them. You're going to start giving your shames away. You're going to start giving your guilts away. You're going to start your loves away. And in that process of vulnerability, of giving yourself away, what is happening? A massive connection is designed to happen. And that massive connection that is designed to happen is supposed to have a purpose in mind. And what is that purpose? The purpose is to take your wife's past and help her to overcome it. The purpose is to take your husband's inadequacies and help him to overcome it. The purpose is to take all the things that we feel like we're not good at and help him to overcome it. Because as we're vulnerable, we get loved on the other side. The vulnerability carries a power to heal Similar to the power that Christ says, I love the church to make her holy, cleansing her, washing her with the water, to present her to himself as a radiant church without uh, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and absolutely blameless. I have the power, and I am the only one that carries the ultimate power to help my wife under the concept of self-confidence, appearance, whether if uh, uh, family issues of any sort of what took place, if she was sexually abused, to help her walk through it, to help her heal, to take her past, and so we are going to be a brand new unit. And inside this unit, we're going to be vulnerable for the purpose of making us strong. For the purpose of making us strong, because we're going to have responsibility. We're going to start raising kids. And we're going to have to be strong in the, purpose of, in the, in the process of that. Therefore, we have got to join each other and connect each other for the purpose of making us strong for the responsibilities that God has given us. The word holy in that passage means sanctified. Sanctify is purified or free from sin. What does sin do? It touch, It kills everything it touches. It annihilates everything that it comes in contact with. You know what our job is as mates? Our job is as Mace to say, let's come together and let's get rid of the stains of sin that have been on you in the past and let's get rid of the present sins that are with us, they are with you even right now, and let's walk as this holy unit for the purpose of changing the world. Again, I just want to go on the other side of this. The vulnerability does carry a power, but it could also carry a negative power. And what is going to carry the negative power? the exact statement that the culture has defined marriage as. You exist to make me happy. You exist to love me. You exist so I will be satisfied. Will she or will he ever be vulnerable to you? Never be vulnerable to you. Why? Because you want to use her. You see what's taking place? is we can wrap up in this world of a culture that says this is the definition of marriage. It's, it's just love. This is the definition of marriage. I should be satisfied. This is the definition of marriage. I should be, I should be healed. I, I should be having all these needs. But there's, if somebody walks in to say, well, you are going to meet them, then you're never going to be able to do it. But if you walk in to say, the purpose that I exist for your future glory in mind, and that's why I'm getting married to you, because it is a biblical purpose, and God has given me an absolute power to heal you from the sins of the past and to help you with the sins in the the future, and so you and I can be vulnerable together and walk as a unit with absolutely power to sanctify our children and sanctify the world that we live in. 1 Corinthians 7, 16 says this, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband. They're not saving them, but the, the dynamics of what we have to offer them is a transformation to make them holy before God. Letter B, passage goes on, Marriage love carries a power to make strong, which would be feed We see God gave himself up to make strong. We see three different things. And then we also see in the passage that God feeds his church and that God cares for his church. Let's look through the passage because there's three things that are happening. It's not only cleansing. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, you notice what he's talking about. Husbands love your wife, and then he goes right to Christ, how he loves the church. But then he flips it and he gives it to the man. In the same way, husbands, and then he starts explaining about the man how you love your wife same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it. And what else does he do? He cares for it, for we are the members of his body. Oh, he feeds it and he cares for it, and then he makes a huge statement and flips back again, just as Christ does to the church. You see the flow, how they're moving back and forth. That's where it can get confusing. But they're moving back and forth because there's the same purpose in mind that God has with His people that He's supposed to. He's handing to His mates. So if you look at the purpose, well, God feeds His church. You can ask the question, well, how does God feed His church? Because ever God feeds His church, He's asking me as a husband to feed my wife in the same way. However, God feeds His church women. He's asking you. To feed, your husband in the same, to feed their husband in the same way. It's a responsibility. So ask the question, how does God feed his church? He feeds his church with absolute grace. He feeds his church with forgiveness. He feeds his church with patience. He feeds his church with kindness. He feeds his church with faithfulness. He feeds it with love, commitment, passion. He feeds it with sacrifice. The whole Bible explains to us how he feeds his church. And as you listen to how Christ feeds his church, there's also a passage that gives us our reaction as he feeds it. What is our reaction? I'll just give the one passage. Our reaction after he feeds us completely full is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the spirit that comes out of us in the process of being fed grace, forgiveness, patience, kindness, faithfulness, love, and the list goes on. You see how Christ is feeding his church and transforming his church in the process of doing that? We dream, we aspire to have a mate that has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We aspire to have them. Well, Christ just handed the mate a whole bunch of responsibility so they can. And what are you supposed to do? Feed him. Well, I can't forgive her. I mean, because think about what, what she did. And if I forgive her, then she, she might do it again. Well, I can't give her grace. I can't give him kindness. I mean, if I give him kindness, then he, he's, he'll have the wrong thoughts in mind. I'm not going to give him kindness. I'm not going to give him commitment. Why? Because he's not completely satisfied my needs. If I would satisfy his needs, then why? Would, if, if I satisfy his needs, he won't satisfy mine, so why would I stay any sort of commitment to him? You see how the argument continues to go? The purpose of marriage is to serve your spouse with a vision of his future glory in mind To make them holy, cleansing her, washing them with water, making them clean, making them strong. But it has to be in line with the biblical purpose if it's ever going to happen. Because if it's in line with the worldly purpose, it's never going to happen. Let her see marriage love carries a power to fill a person's longings, you know, put in their cares. And again, we just see that in in the same passage. Right down at the end, you see, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but what does he do? He feeds it, and then all of a sudden he cares for it, and then it says the words, just as Christ does the church. How does he care for it? He gave himself up for it. He prays for it. He spends time for it. He heals the church, he invests in the church, and he's died for the church. In the same way, we're supposed to care for our mate. So I just wanna break it up into two questions because the purpose was given, then I wanna talk about what should an unmarried person do with the purpose that has been handed, and then what should a married person do with the purpose that has been handed, because there's two different clienteles, there's different clienteles that are in here, and um, uh, so I wanna to talk to all of them. So right now, if you have not been married, um, I just want to give you a challenge: is the culture has given you a purpose of marriage, and we're often choosing a person in regards to that culture. The challenge would be to make, would be to number one or number a or number two choose a mate with the same purpose that that with the same purpose in mind, with the same biblical purpose in mind. Choose a mate with the same purpose of mind. It talks about unequally yoked. But I'll just tell you from the history of, of marriages right now, there's only two reasons why there's problems in a marriage. You're either unequally yoked, which means that you married an unbeliever, there's go, it's going to be hard problems. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. The cross that God asks us to die on is going to be more bloody than if we were equally yoked. So marry a believer. Do not be unequally yoked because it will create problems. But the other problems that people have in marriage is they are equally yoked, But they're under the wrong purpose. They're not in the biblical purpose. They're on a different purpose of marriage, which is usually the culture purpose. So understand what the biblical purpose is and then find somebody that is in line with that biblical purpose. And when you do, I can promise you, your marriage will take off. Because this is what the purpose looks like. This is what the vision looks like, just in a statement. When you look at somebody to see, is this person marriage material? Look at that person and then see what God is doing in you. Make the statement, I see what God is doing in you. I love it. I'm attracted to it. And I want to be a part of it. Therefore, I will serve you like Christ served the church so we can one day present each other to him. It's a whole different different mindset. Now, if you said that to somebody that you're dating, you know what's going to happen? they're going to marry you. (laughs) Period. Why? Because it's what we all want inside. It's what we're all starving for. But they're going to marry you to use you, or they're going to marry you because they're so impressed and want to do the same purpose with you. Get in line with that exact same purpose if you have not chosen a mate yet. And I will say that there is, I don't know what the percentage is, but a large, large percent that would do anything to be in your position right now to be able to choose a mate for the first time with a purpose that goes, that is extremely healthy. Do anything for the opportunity that you have. Therefore, be absolutely selective and don't get the wrong one. Don't get the wrong one. What should the married do with the purpose? I'm going to have to go quickly looking at the time. Number would uh, be number three, Get on the same purpose with your mate. If you're married and there is problems, it is because you're not on the same biblical purpose with your mate. How do you get on the same biblical purpose, letter A? First of all, just recognize whether you, are on, whether you as a couple are living out the purpose or not. Sometimes it's just taking, a, taking the effort to say, are we really living out the purpose together? Or even a conversation together and say, you know what, God has a biblical purpose in marriage and I'm supposed to live with your future glory in mind. And as I'm supposed to do that, maybe I'm not doing it. In fact, in my behavior, I don't even see that I'm doing it. I want to say I'm, I'm, I see it, I'm sorry, and I want to get back onto it. Sometimes it's just recognizing it. Um, we don't even know what's going on with a relationship sometimes. We don't even know why they're getting bad or why they're struggling. Getting back to the purpose would allow that to start the healing process. Letter B, constantly bring up the biblical purpose. Culture carries an extremely powerful, and they want to shove into our mind what the purpose of marriage is. You should be loved. You should be cared for. Your needs should be met. That's what the culture is trying to tell us. If we don't fight against the culture and say, well, what is God trying to tell us? Then you're going to have to bring it up in mind. That's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to bring it up consistently, otherwise, we'll just adapt to the culture. Letter C pray, ask God to empower you to live out the biblical purpose. There's absolute power in prayer. And when I ask God, God, help me to love my wife like Christ loved the church, or women, God, help me to love my husband like Christ loved the church. And I would say it's universal again. If we are praying in that regard, I will tell you there's going to become power in that prayer. But how many of us pray for that? God, help me to do this. That's what prayer is for. That's what prayer is for. Letter D, pray with each other. Pray with your spouse that God would empower you to both live out the biblical purpose. Now, the worst prayer you could possibly give because it is the cultural prayer uh, and it's completely designed to destroy you, is to sit down with your wife and say, okay, let's pray for biblical purpose. God, I pray that my wife lives out the biblical purpose for me. <laughs> That's the worst prayer you could possibly give. Why? You just moved in to say, this is your de- my definition of marriage is that you serve me. But if you pray in, in such a way, God, thank you for giving me the woman that I love. God, you have given me a responsibility and I have power with that responsibility and I don't want to mess up. Therefore, God, please help me to live out my biblical purpose for my wife. Please help me to do it. Do you know what's going to take place? So many walls are going to be breaking down inside of a relationship. So many walls are going to be breaking down because then you're going to see the effort, the drive of the other mate that says, I want to live under God's purpose. And in the process of doing that, as we're going to look further, is that people submit to it. And when they submit to it, all of a sudden the unity takes place in a marriage and things will happen and then, and then we'll have the, great, the greatest marriage that you could possibly ever imagine. But it's the only way to have that great marriage. Letter E, expect phenomenal blessings if you live a life aligned with the biblical purpose. The ancient purpose, it's all about commitment. (laughs) It's all about commitment. The modern purpose is all about love. And if you look at the ancient purpose and you look at the commitment, and then you look at the modern purpose, um, the statement that you can look is that, from a, a worldly perspective, is they don't coincide with each other. They don't coincide with each other. In other words, commitment for status or love. You're either going to get one or the other. The biblical purpose gives us both. In fact, it is the only purpose in the world that gives us both. Commitment to the extreme and love. In fact, you even see the words, for this reason a husband will leave his father and mother, their father and mother and cleave. What does the word leave mean? Leave means commitment. What does the word cleave mean? Cleave means passion. In fact, only in the Bible you will see commitment and passion on the same page. But if we're not under the purpose of God, you will never see it. You'll never see it. God, we thank you for giving us your word. There's so much in it, God. And God, you want what is best for us in your word. I just pray, God, that you empower every couple. God, to live in such a way with their mate for what is best for their mate and in all even best for them. We just thank you, God, for the beautiful concept of marriage that you created, and I just pray, God, that we just um, align ourselves, God, with your vision for it. We love you in Christ's name, amen.